0: This Slate TV Club podcast is sponsored by the new ABC series, American Crime. This March, one crime will affect so many lives. From the Oscar-winning screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave comes the year's most extraordinary drama. Don't miss American Crime, premiering Thursday, March 5th, 10, 9 central on ABC. The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Walking Dead we're discussing before you listen to this podcast. Slate Plus members get early access to our Walking Dead podcast at 10 p.m. on Sundays following the broadcast on AMC. If you're not a Slate Plus member but want early access, sign up at slate.com slash Hello and welcome to Slate's Walking Dead podcast. I'm senior producer Mike Volo here in a city that is just outside of Alexandria, Virginia, Joining me is Slate video producer Chris Wade from New York City. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mike. What's going on? Well, before we start, I want to mention that right now in our respective conference rooms, yours in New York, mine here in D.C., is a champagne and cupcake celebration that we're missing to celebrate the launch of the Slate Group's, our parent company's new podcast network. It's called Panoply, which is, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, a splendid or impressive array, a fine or magnificent display. Panoply includes all of the Slate podcasts that you know and love, and a whole host of additional ones that we are launching with partners like the New York Times and New York Magazine, and others with Slate employees, like, for example, one called Whistle Stop, which you, Chris, named... It's a podcast that I'm producing with John Dickerson, Slate's chief political correspondent, five to 10 minute tableaus from history on the campaign trail. So weird, quirky, interesting, fascinating events that happened while candidates were campaigning.
1: Yeah. And if you've ever listened to the Slate political gap fest, you will know that John Dickerson is a font of quirky little stories about politics and news and history throughout all of time, and especially American history. So that show will surely be a delight.
0: Yeah, it is. We've already had one episode of Whistle Stop, and it's fantastic. It's about an incident from the 1980 Republican primary involving Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush and others. You can check that out and other Panoply programs on Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of the major podcast apps. To hear it on iTunes, go to com slash panoply. That's P-A-N-O-P-L-Y. Google it up, Roz. Okay. First off, Chris, we need to issue a correction of sorts. Several people commented on our Slate Plus show page that Eric and Aaron, despite what we said last week, are not the first gay couple on The Walking Dead. I didn't remember... That Tara, back when she was in Martinez's group, post-Woodbury, I think, she had a girlfriend named Alicia and made reference to a girlfriend that she had back before the apocalypse, too. So she, in fact, was the first gay character on The Walking Dead and was in a relationship at the time.
1: I had totally forgot about that that part of the show seems like a lifetime ago it does. to me as well as the characters did they have an on-screen kiss though? or was their gayness as heavily laid out as
0: their like first moment on tv i don't remember a kiss between them there might have been some amount of pda but i don't remember it rising to the level of a kiss
1: some chaste intimacy
0: <laughs> yeah okay this week's episode remember The cold open again picks up right where we left off, just outside the gate, which opens to let them in. The group enters and is greeted by some dude who wants them to turn over their weapons, which at this point is totally laughable. Right. They just walked into this community. They don't know anybody. They, of course, refuse. And it's clear that they're entering with their backs up, right? They're surly, bordering on hostile. They're defensive. They're abrupt. They're not presenting themselves as humble, appreciative guests.
1: I like the moment where uh, Rick kind of, with one word, tells Sasha to snipe down that zombie that's lurking towards them from outside the gate, which he does with stealth and expertise. I like that as a dual moment of intimidation showing these new gated community people their skills, but then also the symbolic significance of maybe destroying one last piece of their life before before entering this new haven.
0: Yeah, and then Rick says, right before the cold open ends, he says something like, you're lucky we're here. Yeah. Which felt kind of ominous, didn't it? Yeah, there are a lot of things that feel ominous in
1: this episode. I think they're doing a great job of... (laughs) I mean, we can skip to the very last line now, which kind of proves our forever, (laughs) our long stirring theory that
0: Rick and the crew are the enemies. Yes. (laughs) In the end. Rick and the rest of his crew are really now the bad guys. But they
1: offer strength and protection for, as we learned, Deanna, the leader of Alexandria, who has been there, as she describes, the entirety of the apocalypse. So she has never been on the outside of safety. She has never been in survival mode as Rick and Carl later discussed this makes them soft probably by yeah. assumption and then Glenn and his scavenging group get another indication of how that might be true
0: yeah so Deanna is the apparent leader of this community she has a kind of Captain Janeway-esque vibe about her Janeway being the captain from Star Trek Voyager she's firm she's no-nonsense although she has a kind of soft underbelly she's persuasive And she's a former congressperson from your home state, Ohio, right? I did, of course, look up Ohio's 15th district. It is not
1: the one that serves Cincinnati. It is uh, more of a central Ohio, a little uh, south and east of Columbus, but north and west of Cincinnati. So hello to all the good people from the fighting 15th in Ohio.
0: (laughs) Deanna Monroe is her name on the show. I'm assuming that the congressperson from the actual 15th district is somebody else, right? Yes,
1: I would love, though, if that character was played by Ohio's 15th district (laughs) congressperson. I just last night watched the finale of Parks and Rec, which I think is one of the greatest television shows of all time. And also, I am continually delighted by the presence of real political figures on that show, like uh, Joe Biden and his wife made a cameo last night. I've never seen that show. Oh, it's amazing. It's one of the best television shows at all time. As much as the Walking Dead leans into pessimism and hopelessness. That show uplifts you through belief and investment in the pure hope and goodness of cooperation between friends and citizens of America.
0: Wow, Maybe I'll have to binge watch it and we could do a podcast. A catch-up podcast? Yeah, catch-up podcast. Mike, I
1: would love nothing more than to podcast every single episode of Parks and Rec because that show is almost flawless for huge chunks of its run it gets a little sticky in some of the later seasons but there's like a 40 episode chunk where almost every episode is completely perfect
0: well i've decided that i only have time having a toddler as i do i only have time for one television show in my life at any moment and it'll have to wait until march when the walking dead ends this season but you know maybe then i can pick up on parks and rec finally It's all on Netflix, dude. You just got to make it through a few
1: cringy episodes of the first season. And then the entire second season is solid gold.
0: So Deanna sits down with Rick in her very elegantly appointed living room. She has hardwood floors, leather sofa, glass end tables. It's all very high end, double curtained French doors. And she videotapes what comes across as an interview, really, with a with a prospective but very reluctant employee. Rick. An audition, as they called it last... Yeah. Yeah. And Rick, who is saying all the wrong things if he were trying to get the job, right? You don't want me. Being out there has
1: changed me. You don't know what it's like. You don't know how dangerous I am. I have killed
0: people. You're living in a fantasy. This isn't real. It struck me that in this scene and throughout the rest of the episode, Rick especially, but really all of them have a kind of what I guess you'd call Rambo syndrome, right? It's like they've been out there battling for too long. And so that's all they know at this point. So the idea of living in this very cozy community is on its face weird and suspicious to them.
1: They're all clearly wallowing in the depths of PTSD at this point, especially Rick, who has borne the specific increased burden of carrying The responsibility of the group, as much as they all have come to be responsible and look out for each other, they all put their weight on Rick in the end that has worn on him greatly,
0: like carrying the one ring on Frodo. Right. Yeah. So it's not clear if Rick or any of them can reacclimate to normalcy.
1: Or if they really want to at this point. I loved
0: Daryl conducting his interview dead possum in hand, (laughs) not even (laughs) putting it down to enter the house. Right. So throughout the episode, there are very brief vignettes of many of the individuals from Rick's group being interviewed by Deanna and by far the funniest one was Daryl because he is pacing in her living room back and forth with his crossbow slung over his shoulder and a dead possum swinging in his hand by the tail. It's just totally bizarre scene.
1: I did appreciate that in addition to obviously being comedic, Yo, there's a real backstory there because I was just it made me think of that episode where he got caught up with the biker gang mm-hmm. and uh, shot that rabbit, and then the other guy called dibs on it, and then they had this whole like dibs thing going on where he almost got killed. Right. So like, it's super believable that at this point, Daryl, who's been living worm to mouth recently
0: would not want to put down this possum because he doesn't
1: want these new people to take it from him.
0: Yeah, he's kind of cracked in a way. He won't shower. Everybody else is like taking a hot shower, has cleaned up. Rick has shaved. Yeah, we finally got to see that sweet Rick butt. Right, through opaque shower glass, though. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, and got a shave.
1: That must have been nice for Andrew Lincoln.
0: So it's not clear that this group really can return to any sort of a tranquil home life at this point. Nevertheless, they do relinquish all of their weapons the next day or so when they have finally showing a kind of good faith and some measure of trust in this alexandria community that was also a very comedic scene seeing them all of their guns that they're taking from their person and piling on this cart that then gets wheeled away
1: yeah and all these alexandrians kind of looking on them incredulously been? i wasn't sure how, how on board i was with the way they split it up in this episode, where all the dudes are super suspicious of this world, down to Carl, who is having a bit of a trouble adjusting to his new video game bros, while Michonne and Carol seem to be way on board. And Carol is immediately in her like pastel-colored cardigan, ready to go make dinner, and like wistfully thinking about how she still cares for her husband, who
0: used to beat the shit out of her, you know? Well, I saw that as an act. Yeah, so you're referring to Carol in the very brief portion that we see of her interview with Deanna, where she plays a kind of ditzy, naive homemaker who is, you know, eager to please and eventually gets the job of helping to cook meals for older people in the community and mothers who are taxed. And it seemed to me like Carol was playing a part there, no? No. Yeah, I want to believe and I I hope that she was manipulating
1: them in that moment. I mean, she has had, for the better, one of the greatest character arcs in the series and one of the most satisfying ones. And I believe at this point that as much as she would enjoy security, that she is not for a minute going to let her guard down, but knows that she can very successfully play that character down to wearing the cardigan
0: yeah so Rick and Carl choose a house, one of these houses that Diana says back pre apocalypse sold for you know eight hundred thousand some odd dollars It's a planned community it's a kind of new urban development where everything is Solar more or less self contained yeah everything
1: is as efficient as possible and self generating to a certain extent.
0: yeah, so they still have running water, they still have electricity they don't have phones, but this scene where Rick and Carl are enjoying these now alien creature comforts, this, I think, tapped into my real psychological attraction to this show. It's sort of like on a brutally cold night in the winter, of which there have been many in recent weeks here in (laughs) D.C. and in in New York. It's like being in a very cozy room with a warm drink and a burning fire. That is all the sweeter knowing how inhospitable it is outside, right? And likewise, to be in this oasis on a post-apocalyptic Earth with all of these amenities, but not too many. They don't seem to have computers. They don't seem to have phones, as I said. It's such an appealing fantasy for me.
1: Is to be the
0: island of modern comforts in a harsh and unforgiving world. And not necessarily modern comforts, but an island of safety in a harsh and unforgiving world where the safety is secure, but precarious.
1: You desire to have the actual real threat of let's call it natural violence to make your feeling of sanctuary seem even
0: sweeter you need that salt in your caramel Mm -hmm. to really bring out the flavor right exactly totally and i think if i could psychoanalyze the american population i think that that has something to do with the popularity of this show it's compelling especially coming out of an era where the existential
1: threat to the world was very clear and very present at this point in American history any existential threats to the safety of the entirety of the country are so remote or so theoretical i mean i'm talking about like all out nuclear war which seems almost impossible to imagine right that the fantasy that you think that this show teases out is the fantasy of a besieged community, a besieged country that this nation does not experience in the reality of this world, but kind of forever seeks to put itself in to fulfill our kind of loner outsider fantasies
0: or pictures of ourselves. Right. And also to fulfill a need for personal heroicism, to fill a need for physical labor to fulfill a need for personal actualization in a way that we don't get those of us who work in offices and you know commute to work in cars or on subways. It's just it's not a part of our daily existence. This enemy at the gates fantasy. Yeah. This kind of meaningful fantasy that has at its core struggling to survive. I, I totally see what you're saying.
1: I suspect that This armchair analysis of the American psyche, well, I think more accurate than not. I think there's a lot of nuance that people could could and probably will point out to us. But I think that that is more or less right about the nature and appeal of the show. And zombie apocalypse in general is the idea of, you know, making outside threats, existential threats, very real. Plus, like, the fun mind games of gaming out like an epidemic (laughs) that is very, very physically manifested. All those parts are part of the zombie aesthetic. I mean, forts are fun. When we're kids, we build forts out of sofa. You like to feel like you're the one most guarded place and you are inside of it and everything outside of it is what you're being guarded from.
0: All right, let's take a brief pause to mention our sponsor. This March, it's time to experience American Crime. One offense will send shockwaves through a community like never before, shattering families and igniting a media frenzy in this powerful, thought-provoking and timely series. From the Oscar-winning screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave comes the year's most extraordinary new drama. Felicity Huffman and Timothy Hutton star in American Crime. It premieres Thursday, March 5th, at 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 Central on ABC. That's Thursday, March 5th on ABC.
1: I didn't really know a lot about this show before I heard it advertised on our show, but the ads for it during the Oscars made it look real good and a little weird and creepy, which I find unusual for a network crime drama. And obviously the creative pedigree behind this is pretty good, so I'm excited to watch this.
0: Yeah, I think I mentioned that I only have time for one television show in my life and The Walking Dead is it right now maybe this will be the show that I pick up after I binge watch all of Parks and Recreation yes <laughs> American Crime March 5th on ABC okay speaking of fantasies Rick after he showers he's now shirtless his hair is still wet there's a knock on the door and hello Hey work in the pantry Dean asked me to bring these over for you and your friends it's jesse with food from the pantry and an offer of a haircut hi jesse you still have a little shaving cream on your chin <laughs> yes there was, there was definitely some sexual undertones here yeah at this point it would seem so silly to like give rick a
1: romantic interest and then i assume they'd make him be like uh oh, but what about my wife Who has, what, now been out of the show for two and a
0: half seasons or something like that? What about Jesse's husband? Rick goes out walking one night. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and he encounters, sitting on a porch smoking a cigarette, Jesse's husband, who is very terse and not very friendly to Rick, says something like, you're the guy my wife gave a haircut to, or something like that. (laughs) And then he just says- Yeah, I hear
1: my wife's been giving you (laughs) haircuts.
0: Right. And then he says, welcome to Alexandria.
1: yeah. And then after that, we see Rick laying with his eyes open and the music kind of swells. And as always, we were watching these on the online screeners where the contrast is not too great. And when scenes are shot at night, neither of us can see anything. But the way that that music swelled in that scene, I actually had to go back and watch it again to figure out if anything truly suspicious happened or if it was just Rick staring
0: into space, which it turned out to be just Rick staring into space. And so the big sort of denouement in the episode is when several members of Rick's group, Glenn and Tara, and maybe one or two others, go out on a kind of practice provision gathering expedition with a couple of guys, Nicholas and Aiden, from the Alexandria community. Aiden is kind of bro He comes across as his word, not mine, a douchebag. He's a self-identified <laughs> douchebag. They're really trying to give him his
1: own kind of uh, parlance, which I found... <laughs> a little more obnoxious than effective. But, you know, I'm glad that they're at least trying to make somebody talk in a different way. And maybe after being isolated for this long, they w- they would have a different, a slightly different way of speaking, more affected way of speaking.
0: Yeah, he seems to use some slang that we haven't heard before. Maybe it's an idiolect and it's unique to him, but it may be that this community has developed their own vernacular.
1: I assume that it's more a, a writer's room choice to make this guy real swaggy
0: yeah and so this plays out to bad results when they go out on this expedition going
1: into uh carl and rick's theory that these people are soft this guy's real dumb and (laughs) takes commands him and his two compatriots to like capture the zombie that killed one of their friends four of their friends glenn learns is the reason why they glenn and rick's group got recruited is because they just lost four people recently. So they want to like tie up the zombie and either leave it there to rot or torture it or something. So they're pinballing this zombie back and forth to which our group is very wary until one of them (laughs) steps up and out of fear and anxiety just stabs the zombie in the head and lays it out to which the
0: Alexandrians get real pissy because they ruin their zombie sport capturing. Yeah, they had some ridiculous notion that they're going to string up this zombie and make it pay for having killed their friends, as if the walkers suffer. I mean, it's not even really clear that they do, and so it all seemed like a totally unnecessary risk because a couple of them had almost got bit while they were bandying this walker about trying to tie up its arms. Tara grabbed at it, and its flesh just tore off of its torso.
1: Yeah, ooh, that was a great effect, zombie
0: effect of the week. (laughs) Totally, yeah, so it was just a ridiculously foolish enterprise by Aiden and Nicholas
1: yeah, and then this this whole incident sets up a conflict where we the audience and know because we 've been following Glenn and Glenn and his crew know that this is a dumb idea and stand up for it being a dumb idea, and Nicholas and Aiden kind of take it as a questioning of their authority when they get back to Alexandria proper. this whole thing kind of blows up into this argument between them in which Aiden is is making a very douchey, very whiny, very soft play for his authority until (laughs) Glenn lays him out, which to us, the viewers, he seems fully justifying in doing, especially as Aiden swung at him first and his lightning sharp survival honed reflexes just (laughs) put Aiden down. And I thought a very satisfying moment. All of this comes up as this conflict is resolved by Deanna, who strips Glenn and crew of their weapons, but equally chastises Aiden and Nicholas and then thanks Glenn for laying them out before offering Rick and Michonne the the job of constable, which I found was a very quaint way of (laughs) phrasing that, which they accept and walk off. And we kind of have this knowing look between all our group that these people have a good thing, too good of a thing and they don't really know what they're doing with it.
0: Yeah, and part of the interview that we saw in the very beginning with Rick and Deanna gets replayed as Rick is now wearing his constable uniform, as if this is playing in Rick's head. People out there are always looking for an angle, looking to play on your weakness.
1: They measure you by what they can take from you they can use you to live
0: and so you got this sense that either Rick was somehow knowingly going along with this constable ruse thinking that Deanna was playing him in some way and he was allowing her to think that or just this voiceover reminding us that Rick maybe was forgetting his own words I wasn't quite sure how I was supposed to read that
1: I mean I think that he's contemplating all the angles I still don't quite believe that Rick would willfully be evil. I think that Rick's alignment forever is lawful good, though he is. He's been corrupted by his time in the woods a little bit. And I think in his mind, he's seeing a group of people who are maybe undeserving of what they have. And as he very explicitly says at the very end of the episode, we'll see if we can get along with them. And if we
0: don't, We'll take it. Yeah, we'll just take what they have. Yeah. It was kind of chilling to hear Rick say that because that is precisely the kind of people that we were rooting against for the last several years of this show.
1: I guess I'm trying to justify Rick's thinking here, and as much as I understand it, of the thing that these people have is not necessarily realistic to the world as it exists around them. And if they don't understand the real dangers, the real realities of what the rest of the world is like, then eventually they will waste the thing that they have put together, this community. And Rick sees in himself that he has now the tools necessary to maintain a resource like the security offered by Alexandria. And I think that in his weighing of moral equivalencies between both what is good for his group and what is good for all people. He sees that if they don't have the strength, the Alexandrians, to do what is necessary to preserve, then he is prepared to take the authority to do what is necessary from them.
0: But in a morally just world, it's not for Rick to make that decision, right? He didn't build this community. They did. Deanna tells Rick that her husband, who was an architect pre-apocalypse, built with the help of others, built this fortification around their community with these panels that they salvaged from a shopping mall that was being built nearby when all hell broke loose. It doesn't seem like it's Rick's place to make that judgment in a world where there is still a moral code and Rick is living by it. I think Rick is operating at this point under the principle
1: that the rules of this world don't change, though they seem to be in safety now. Like just because they have entered a zone of security doesn't mean that their lives are any different than they were yesterday in a zone of utter fear and danger. You see what I'm saying? But
0: if you look at the last several years, it's Deanna and her crew who have lived in relative safety and security and comfort And it's Rick and his crew who have gone from place to place to place and been on the run for all of this time. So really, who has carved out a better existence? Yeah, that's true. But by what right other than chance? I don't know. They've done pretty well all of this time. They lose people when they go out on missions, but they don't lose people inside. The people they have assigned for running are apparently dummies. I mean, Carl's right. They are weak. Their survival skills are not honed. But yet, you know, it's not necessarily by chance. They helped build each and every one of them this community. I mean, I know I sound like I'm defending them now against Rick and his crew, but... I'm sure I'm also coming off as a uh, an advocate of, of tyranny by the mighty. Yeah, right. You're coming off a little bit like Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction or something. Whereas I believe that from what we can see so far, Deanna is well intentioned, and it's just not Rick's place to take by force what is not rightfully his. It just rubs me the wrong way, and it seems to rub up against all of the principles that he has tried to live by.
1: Well, we'll see if it plays out. Because remember, the if of that statement was if we can't get along with these people. Right. Rick in the role of constable is going to cause some like authority problems. Exactly. With, exactly. Uh, Aiden and Nicholas.
0: Yes. This is destined to fail. But I wonder, can the show survive without Rick? He's the only character that you ever feel is safe, right? You never feel like it's possible that Rick could die, whereas every other character seems to be on the table. Survive meaning still get the ratings that it does, which are through the roof, apparently.
1: Yeah, you know what?
0: I bet Rick could die at the end of this season, and I think that the show would still largely work. Would they need to replace Rick with another compelling, strong, central character, or would it work as an ensemble?
1: I think it would work as an ensemble. I think, I mean, maybe, okay, if I was to be told to write a season of this show at which the end Rick had to die, I think that you would need to add more people under the thrall of the group at the side, which they've already done to a certain extent, to make Rick have more dependencies. And then the, what happens is Rick gets killed, and then the arc in his departure is kind of a power vacuum decided upon between michonne carol and glenn of who is looking up to who and the lack of a de facto head starts to cause problems as the three of them negotiate if they want to control the group if they want that pressure if they're able to and then you kind of make them a tripartite lead character because they are all compelling in their own ways and have strong personalities and backstories on which you can hang heavy decisions. Mm. And then you also start developing Carl as kind of a badass Avenger character. You're talking like a Roman triumvirate. I think it could be done. I mean, at this point, Rick's main narrative usefulness is is that of de facto decision maker. Other than that, he mostly just cares a lot about judith and carl (laughs) yeah and
0: continues to like glower at things and be sad and pontificate and and speaking of glowering and being sad it's really difficult to tell what exactly daryl wants out of life at this point because he's totally withdrawn he seems unreachable really Mm -hmm. he seems to be scoffing at everything about alexandria to the point of derision and it's not clear what he wants anymore I think we'll see this coming up, and I think we've seen it a little bit before, is that he was
1: such an outsider in society before the apocalypse, kind of a redneck enthrall to his redneck older brother. And he really found a place and a position and a role, a leadership role even, in this band of survivors. And I think that the idea of settling down comes with it the implication that he himself will again be an outsider with no real role within this society. That his his role of, of second-in-command, lieutenant to Rick, and his role as defender and attacker, as hunter, striker in this group, will become irrelevant, and his
0: life will lose meaning. Yeah, I mean, as likable as he is as a character, if he were in your life, like if he were a kid in your high school class, if he were an employee at your job you wouldn't like him. And you can kind of see how
1: all the same things that have made him kind of great and likable in this apocalypse very immediately when put into the lens of polite society, all those same traits make him kind of a sullen jerk.
0: Yeah. All right, Chris, well, maybe we can catch the tail end of our respective panoply celebrations. Everybody's back to work. Yeah, everybody's back to work. Okay, we (laughs) missed it. Maybe there's some champagne left. Well, I am really enjoying this half season.
1: Yeah, good stuff so far. This is another
0: good episode. It's kind of going in unpredictable places, and I'm eager to see how Alexandria plays out. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you are a Slate Plus member, Thank you so much for supporting Slate. And if you are not, you can sign up at slate.com slash dead plus. That's slate.com slash dead plus. Also, we haven't been
1: having regular Slate article pages, only Slate Plus, but we're going to start doing that now. So if you want to send this to your Walking Dead watching friends, there will be a convenient place to link to coming up. And if you want to yell at us about anything that we are getting wrong Mike doesn't really use Twitter, but you can find me at at SayWhatAgain.
0: All right. Thanks, everyone. We will talk to you soon.